This episode of The Interchange is made possible by APSA and Timu. Okay, so hello and welcome to the second special recording of The Interchange. We're still at the World Economic Forum on Africa, coming to you from APSA's Dome across the road from the CTICC, where WEF Africa meetings are taking place. So episode four and five have been in line with, with Africa's theme of shaping inclusive growth and shared futures in the fourth industrial revolution. We discussed uh, special uh, disparities and inequality in the fourth episode. And in this episode, we have an even more interesting uh, topic that's going to really require us to use our imagination and go even further into the future than we are already so fourth industrial revolution has been a very big topic that everyone has been talking about it's an era that is defined by the exponential evolution of technology of robotics of artificial intelligence all of which have come a long way in a really short space of time so from lifting stacks of metal in a factory we also have robots that are now able to remove repetitive tasks and administrative jobs that make our lives easier. If you think about a call center, for example, most companies are now using chatbots, which are able to do your first two or three prompts and then pass you over to a human where you can then uh, manage your more complex requests. But in the fifth industrial revolution, which is a largely undefined territory, but one that is coming and much more sooner than we think, people are expecting artificial intelligence to evolve far significantly than today's relatively simple machine learning to better understanding of human behavior. That means that robots are going to be better at making decisions, at thinking critically, at being creative, at communicating with more clarity, at even displaying human emotions in complicated situations. And the question is, if robots start to become cleverer and they're able to increasingly make better decisions and faster decisions, could they take on a role as challenging as the CEO of a company? So to discuss today's motion, which is in instances of economic stagnation, this House believes that the state should fund the creation of and access to realistic androids that simulate business ownership. We have four debaters. Our first two who are proposition Ansiga, uh, who is an engineering student from Stellenbosch, and he aspires to not be one-dimensional. And we also have Estal, who is a law student and active supporter of startups through Pro Bono Consulting. She is a CEO of Corway uh, Software. I think I don't, I, I don't have to say the R, right? So it's Corway. Yeah. So softwares. And then in opposition, we have Blake Shapiro, who's a student of law and English at UCT, and he is passionate about literature and startup culture. And finally, um, we have Neo, who is back on the interchange from season one. She's an avid activist and writer who prioritizes the liberation of black and female bodies. We also have Neil Dudoit, who is our data, our expert for today's episode. He's a data scientist 
at the University of Cape Town under the new Law and Technology Initiative in the Law Faculty. He builds machine learning solutions to legal uh, research problems and he lectures on the use of smart contract technologies. He previously worked as a data strategist consulting on enterprise data science solutions. Neil also used to debate. So this is going to be a very interesting episode. Um, before we start the debate, though, I do want to start by roping in our expert to find out what his uh, uh, preliminary thoughts are. You know, with me, I've been struggling because the only thing I can really think of that's as close as possible to the motion is I, Robots. I don't know if anyone else has seen that movie with Will Smith. But Neil, what are we really thinking about here when we're thinking about CEO robots? Thank you, thank you. Um, and thank you for the topic. It's, it's very interesting and I think there's a lot to unpack. Um, and certainly in terms of what we think about when we try and see this, uh, the idea in this motion that we're going to be discussing human-like robots and robots that actually look human, um, I think is quite an interesting dimension as well. Um, I think the main idea, uh, as you discussed, that comes up from this topic is the idea of software that can run a business, uh, artificial intelligence that can run a business. And this is something that's really being arrived at from two different angles in the software development community. Uh, the one is artificial intelligence, which is building the brains to be able to create software that can make the right choices. Um, and the other is with things like decentralized blockchain technology, where we're also now developing platforms where software uh, can have the capacity to contract with people and with other software and can also have the capacity to own its own assets. Um, and so what you're seeing is a convergence of these where we can now create entities uh, or we're getting close to a point where we can create entities that are smart enough to run businesses that can own their own assets and that can enter into contracts on their own terms as software. Um, as you say, I think a very interesting aspect of this uh, is the idea that uh, in this debate, at least, of having a, a human, an android, a human-like android actually being this business owner. Uh, the idea of how we engage with artificial intelligence is an ongoing uh, question in, in research. What is the right interface? Uh, as was mentioned by the chairperson, uh, what we thought for a while is that chatbots might be a good interface to artificial intelligence. It seems natural to talk to them in that way. What we're looking at here is a robot that actually looks like a human um, and perhaps even might become so human-like that you might even think it is a human. I don't know if that's something that will be explored today, yeah. um, but that's a potential option. Um, and so what that also gets at is, is really the question of whether artificial intelligence is something that we're trying to build to mimic uh, human behavior and what people do, or whether intelligence can be uh, not human-like as well. Um, and so this is something that you're seeing play out, for example, with self-driving cars, where at the moment we're kind of teaching them to read road signs and stop signs uh, in the same way that a person would. Uh, but we might imagine a world where there's only self-driving cars and then we don't need stop signs anymore. They can just communicate directly with each other. And so there's a real debate about the extent to which intelligence systems need to be human-like and what are the benefits of being able to interact with AI as though it's a human um, and what are the costs and what might we get if we build intelligence systems that aren't human-like. I think the main interesting thing about the debate today is that it kind of flips around the idea that we have with the fourth industrial revolution um, which is a bit more than just economic stag uh, stagnation, but the idea of mass unemployment as people's jobs when they're working for somebody else get replaced by machines. What seems to be suggested here is that actually the machines could be creating businesses and that might even create jobs. Sure. And I'm interested to hear... Uh, how that gets fleshed out in the debate and whether that is an argument that can be made or not. I'm very interested to hear some of the views as well. But before 
we allow debaters to, you know, give us their insights. Some quick rules about the debate. The first is that remember that our debaters are not sharing their personal views. Rather, what they're doing is representing as best as they can the view of someone who would support that idea or would support their side in today's debate. We will get to hear some of their personal views at the end, um, but just keep that in mind during the debate. Secondly, we're using the British parliamentary format. We have four speakers, two on each side. The first two are prop and the last two are opposition. In terms of speaking order, prop one is going to speak first and op two is going to speak last. Each speaker has four minutes to deliver their case. The first minute and the fourth minute are protected time, but the minutes in between are open to the opposing team to ask points of information. So speakers, are you good to go? Cool. Take us away. Without the alignment of businesses and with the context of fallibility of business people, there's a limit to how well government can alleviate economic stagnation via macroeconomic policy alone. This is why we need androids. And with that, I greet you. So the, the structure of my speech will be definitions, the basic policy, the context, and why we believe this motion should stand. The motion for the floor today is the South believes that the state should fund the creation of an access to realistic androids that simulate business ownership in the context of economic stagnation. Definitions. What is a realistic android? Right? You're looking at one. Right? So someone um, strong AI in human form where you realistically wouldn't be able to distinguish between it and another human being. And, well, and a human being. Business ownership, this means just the general operation and management of businesses, whether it be on behalf of um, human business owners or, or state-owned enterprises. Um, and lastly, um, economic stagnation. This is long periods of zero or negative per capita GDP growth for the purposes of, of this debate. Now, what is the policy? So within the policy, simply the government, what they'll be doing is they'll be funding the development of these, of these AIs and giving, giving access to them to, bus, to business people who want to use it or to state-owned enterprises who want, who want to use it. For those businesses that want to use it, there might even be um, financial incentives to make use of these, whether, whether, whether it be subsidies or tax incentives if it's found that businesses are, are unwilling to do it. Although we want to explain to you the benefits of these androids, we don't think businesses would be unwilling One to use it. One minute up. Cool. So context, right? Economic, economic stagnation. So when we look at the West currently and South Africa right now, what we see is that the government has reached its limit of how much it can do in terms of macroeconomic policy. When we look at the, at, at, at the European Union, they've pushed their monetary, their monetary policy to the very limit, but there is no, but there is no economic growth. Within, within South Africa, we see that there's a limit to fiscal policy. Um, that fiscal policy has been stretched to its limit. Why is that? What we tell you, what we tell you is that because the people who control capital within these, within these contexts, business people, are highly risk-averse. They're, they're highly risk-averse because of, of, of previous financial crisis that we've seen and because of the low levels of business and consumer confidence within the, within the economies. What we tell you is that this risk-averseness itself is what is causing econ economic stagnation and what is perpetuating the economic stagnation. What we inform you is that in, or in order to end economic stagnation, we need to... to um, put in an entity which doesn't have this risk of versus, which is essentially based within, within, within emotionality. What we tell you is that we need robots. So why do we need an Android, right? Androids aren't, blo aren't, aren't blocked by, by false, um, um, aren't blocked by uh, human emotions, right? When, when, when um, for, 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 for example, right, if there's someone who's an, an, an investment banker, instead of, instead of an investment banker who is going to make a decision on a whim based upon something that they heard from a friend or just seeing right across stock market, we'll see is that we'll, instead we'll, we'll be having an Android which will be making very calm, very calculated, calculated, calculated decisions. And one, and two, what we... What One minute left. Two, what, next what we tell you is that 
these robots are better equipped to leverage symbioses between other AI operating businesses. So what we tell you, what we tell you is that when we look when we look at um, business to business business to business um, sorry yeah business to business transactions, there'll be seamless communication between these different businesses, and there'll, there'll, there'll be a better ability to actually engage within contracts, which itself is very important because business to business transactions are quite a large part of the economy and perpetuate economic stagnation. Next is this uncertainty around what are different businesses doing because other AIs are aware of what other businesses are, businesses are doing. Next, AI is better able to leverage um, gov government policies which people, which people might not in general be aware of. So, for example, Section 12J of the tax Taxation Code, which, allow, which gives you great benefits for um, funding into startups. Not many people are plainly aware of this, but because AI, but because AI have, will have access to the vast treasure troves of um, government regulation, they'll be, they'll be able to access this far more seamlessly and far, far, more, far more easily than other people. Um, and lastly, why does it need to be Tadayumzi, human? Your time is up, unfortunately. Hopefully that last point is going to come through in a style speech. But for now, I'm handing over to the opposition speaker one, Blake Hiahia. Even if you believe that AI are going to be able to run businesses better than humans in virtually every way, that claim is extremely uncomparative because it doesn't address the highly dangerous risks that are posed by the use of AI. But firstly, two points of extraneous rebuttal. I think that Firstly, given the analysis from that speech, it's odd as to why we would not simply support the use of augmentation with AI, that is to say, using AI concurrent with humans in business ownership as opposed to replacing humans with AI. I don't see why that's the case. Secondly, I think that given the context of of Africa's economy, given huge amounts of inequality um, in this continent in general, it seems strange to have an economic policy on a macro level that focuses on helping executives as opposed to helping people on the ground. That seems particularly odd. So why do we think that AI poses a great deal of risks to the functioning of the economy and to society in general? Primarily because of its unpredictability. Notice that when AI moves into the realm of artificial general intelligence and is taking on human tasks as opposed to merely manual tasks, that means that it begins to incur social responsibility. That means that it's extremely important that we are able to observe why artificial intelligence is making particular decisions in businesses so that we can counteract things when they're harms and that we can copy things when they're benefits. Unfortunately, we aren't One able to do up. this with AI. It lacks the transparency to inspection. Why is that the case? Firstly, because they run off very complicated neural networks and the kind of directed evolution machine learning that happens means that we aren't able to observe the way that AI reaches decisions um, comparative to, for example, kinds of Bayesian networks, which do allow us uh, to observe how the AI is reaching those decisions. The transparent mechanisms aren't the ones that are generally used in this case. Secondly, notice that AI sees the direct introduction of local unpredictability from programs, from programmers for maximal functioning. This happened with IBM. IBM software Deep Blue so that it could be a chess player. That means we can't observe why AI is reaching the conclusions that it is in business. Why is that so harmful? Because of something called the law of amplification. Um, which is a principle in machine learning, which basically means that whatever problems humans would have running that business, when robotics and AI are introduced into that business, those same problems become larger. That happens in two ways. Firstly, social harms. This, this is to say that because machines actively learn from the structures around them as to how things have been done previously, that they pick up whatever negative biases people in those industries would have already had. That happens with racism. So, for example, see the technology Compass in the US, which predicts how likely 
likely um, people are to go back to jail after they've been released. Point. Drastic. No, thank you. It drastically overpredicts the extent to which black people will go back to jail and drastically underpredicts the extent to which white people will. See, for example, as well, the Microsoft chatbot Tay Tweets, which became a neo-Nazi in basically 24 hours. That's particularly harmful because it means that there's no way that we can have accountability of these One minute of left. problems because we then don't know why these decisions are arising. We can't take legal action to fix these kinds of things. Secondly, though, this happens with business harms as well. This is particularly important in terms of making the economic stagnation worse because there are also negative uh, biases in terms of business functioning that are pre-existing. So, for example, cultures of short-termism in business, which prioritize uh, like contemporaneous revenues as opposed to long-term profits. Because the AI is going to pick up those problems from the structures around them, it's going to implement those things as well. Note, for example, that as well, because, because the AI has to learn, there's a learning curve. That means that it's not going to immediately uh, be able to be perfect. See, for example, how long it's taken for AI to be able to affect locomotion properly. It's still imperfect. That means that even if AI is going to be brilliant in the long term, there's a huge implementation lag that occurs contemporaneously. This becomes so particularly harmful in stagnation as well because it comes at the cost of other mechanisms that we know that work, such as... Blake, your time is up. Thank you so much for that speech. I'm now handing over to Proposition Speaker 2, Estelle, to close the proposition case. Here, here. So my biggest concern with this speech was that I'd use up three of my four minutes umming and ahhing. And the reason why this became a concern is because when stakes are raised or when a situation becomes dire, for instance, when there's something like an eight-minute speech, which is reduced to a four-minute speech, or when you have a once-functioning economy, which is reduced to stagnation, in these kind of like dire situations, people tend to get nervous, they tend to get scared, and we overcorrect, we overcompensate, and we make mistakes. The reason why this is particularly problematic is because in this kind of situation where we're more likely to make mistakes, this is exactly the, the kind of context where we simply cannot afford to make mistakes. It is in this context where we cannot afford to have people running the shows. Instead, we should hand over to the far more competent and mechanical hands of androids. We cannot be messing around in these kinds of dire situations. Um, so this is kind of like a re direct rebuttal to Blake's point, which is basically just that there's going to be these kind of inherent biases which are picked up by the androids and these are going to be perpetuated throughout the technological processes. And we think that because these bots are specifically created with the intention of solving economic harms, this is what the biases or their programs, program anomalies are going to be directed towards. These are going to be the kind of biases which arise, not specifically biases which are directed towards a social context. So many of, many of his harms become moot. But um, yeah, so the, the point that I'm then going to be addressing is specifically with regards to the most vulnerable actor, i.e. the people who are doing the grunt work in situations, which was another concern raised by Blake, and I'm going to be answering that directly. So the kind of people who are who we're talking about now are the people who are doing the grunt work in businesses who aren't in managerial positions, and these are the kind of people who are most drastically affected when you have things like economic stagnations. These are the kind of people who are retrenched and who are suffering as a result of the fact that the economy isn't able to grow. No thanks. Um, so we see that when this kind of the, this kind of suffering occurs, what happens is that people lose trust in the in in the status quo in the management, and this aggravates the situation because it's very difficult to invest a proper eight-hour workday into a, a, a mechanism or a system which you inherently are unable to trust. So what we need to do is we need to enforce some kind of drastic policy so that people are once again able to trust the system. How can we do that? Well, there's various different mechanisms. One would be perhaps raising incomes, but in a, a 
country where it can, the economy has stagnated, that's just not an ideal solution. Alternatively, what we can do is we can change management, which is where the androids come in. So firstly, it's better, like, we re-incentivize people to trust the system mm. by instituting androids because it's a completely different management system. So it's like out of the old, in with the new, and we think that that is an inherently good thing. But secondly, once they're in management positions, we think that we uh, alleviate the negative by um, the, the big possibility of negative biases affecting people in their work condition. Because specifically in a place like a South African context, where you're literally raised with all these kind of like systemic injustices, One minute you left. have these subconscious biases which you're literally unable to avoid. An Android doesn't necessarily need to have this when it's programmed specifically to focus on economic issues. So we think that firstly we alleviate these kind of inherent biases. But more importantly, even if we are to trust Blake, which we don't because he's not an Android, we think that an important thing is that even where these um, androids might have biases, people don't expect this from technology because they're like it's a series of zeros and ones. So people are more likely to trust a decision and not resist it simply because they don't believe that it's because this person is a white man that he's making um, X policy. So it's easier for people to buy into the system and this is where you have your most effective workforce. So it's because we believe that we're going to be getting the absolute best results from the workforce and therefore we'll be able to um, stimulate, re-stimulate economic growth and, uh, and mitigate the harms of economic stagnation that we think it's very important to put androids in managerial positions. Your Side time is up. Thank you so much, Estelle. And now for our closing speech from Opposition 2, Neo, here, here. One of the biggest problems with Proposition's case is that it has removed itself from two important realities. Firstly, the social reality that people do not like new things and they do not like robots. These are two important things because what they tell us is people will reinvest their trust in a broken system, the point at which you shake it up to the point where they cannot even recognize it anymore. That is unrealistic, especially when you're talking about a working class that, in, that has been subjected to so much at the hands of the frontiers of industrial revolutions. These are people whose family members have been fired for the sake of, of assembly life. These are people whose family members have lost their jobs to artificial intelligence. They do not trust it and they do not trust new things. But secondly, they remove themselves from the reality of economic stagnation. That while economic stagnation is entirely spread out, it does not just exist at the point at which capital stops flowing. It affects everyone, but importantly, affects the poorest the worst. The, the problem, however, with their solution is that it is extremely trickled down. It expects that because executives are going to have access to androids and those androids are going to be able to generate value, it's somehow going to get to everyone everyone else. We forget One the profit, up. We forget the, prof, the, the profit-driven nature of companies in this instance, where they're more likely to hoard those profits and retain more capital. Tr honestly, if Apple was to let go of its reserves, the American economy would be in a way better place than it is right now because they can afford to pay every single one of their employees off of the interest on their reserves. Hoarding capital is done by the very same companies who you want to give the means to generate more capital more efficiently with less people, less human beings, Point. and instead just using just um, um, just using um, androids in a moment. But moreover, all they've given us is still a case for augmentation. Let us assume that people do not know certain laws. Let us assume that people cannot make certain calculations and that they do not have certain beliefs. We can still have artificial intelligence in an advisory role where they're able to affect those kinds of decisions but not make those kinds of decisions. We've told you that there is an inherent randomness to how they make decisions. We've told you that they exaggerate and overshoot certain kinds of decisions. And these are important because they're going to affect these economic policies, whether or not they're ones or zeros, because these are practices that have been accepted and legislated. Before I continue, yeah. 
Um, do you not think that the decisions that humans make are equally random, except they don't have that kind, uh, except humans have that extra biases of their upbringing, etc., whereas androids don't necessarily? Yeah, but the point we're making is that there is no perfect system. Don't, like, we're just likely to have a better outcome when you have human beings who aren't more likely to overshoot their kinds of, um, their, their estimates in the same way that artificial intelligence has. But we'd say that even in the instance in which they're more likely to do that, you're not selling people the false hope of a perfect system and then having it blow up in their faces. You're not selling them the hope of a perfect managerial body that's unlikely to be perfect at all. The last thing I want to speak about is is um, how proposition would like to pretend that the social harms that exist from this kind of system are unlikely to be impactful. Let us note that there is a feed that that there is a loop that exists between society and the economy. Even if you program the, you program them um, the, the robots to be entirely based on One ones and zeros, they will have social implications, and those social implications will have economic implications. There is no way you're going to create an android that's going to work and create a business within a society and have it completely ignore the biases, trends, and general movements of that society. And that means that things like, and, and what, and what that means is that things like, um, robots are more likely to shoot for certain target markets and, and those might be socially problematic. They might only prioritize rich people and that's going to have a poor impact on how poor people are viewed. It's going to have social implications, it's going to have social impact, it's going to have social influences. And those are the kinds of harms that are going to be continuously perpetuated. Because if we are to assume that people trust robots as much as they say we trust them, then that's way worse than when people are doing it because those harms are exacerbated. It's going to be, har- it, 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 it's going to be dangerous for the economy, it's going to be dangerous for society. But importantly, it is going to rip the carpet out from underneath people who are already going through a lot and they're going to only go through more, the point at which even the ones who thought they escaped retrenchments get also replaced by androids. Sure. Thank you so much for that speech. And that brings our debate to an end. Neil, very difficult task of helping us untangle the clash. What do you think... uh, are some of the important points that were made on both sides that we need to consider in this debate? Well, I think the, the, the debaters all made great points, and it was a great debate, and a lot of these issues are issues that are currently being worked on and, and people are currently thinking about. Um, I think uh, I'll, I'll list maybe three of the big ones. Um, the first one is about transparency and how you, you can explain what these algorithms are doing. This is something that people are currently battling with, with automated decision-making about things like credit rating and whether or not you get approved for various services. Um, and so with the sort of AI that they were talking about, which is deep neural, deep neural network learning, um, there you can often explain on a macro scale how these things work, but in individual cases it can be quite difficult to explain how you arrived at a particular conclusion. Um, there are other approaches to AI that are more transparent, but they are less developed at the moment. Uh, and when it comes to questions of bias as well, we know that if you are training on human data, it's very easy to absorb and indeed amplify those biases. Uh, if you aren't training on, on data that comes from human input, there is an argument to be made on the other side that uh, AI can be more neutral. It doesn't see the things that humans see, and it doesn't have the same biases in some cases. Um, in South Africa, our laws are actually quite good with this because the, the job of explaining why a decision was made uh, that has a biased impact falls on the person who has built the system not the other way around, uh, which isn't the case in a lot of places in the world. And so I think we're, we're better equipped in South Africa to deal with those questions, um, at least legally. Uh, another interesting point, uh, or what I think was a, a kind of the clash that the opposition wanted to create in this debate, was about augmentation versus just having bots do it. 
Um, I think there was almost an assumption that we were talking about existing businesses. And I think an interesting question is what happens if you start mass producing bots and they all just go out and make new companies. So there's certainly an element of scalability that you don't get with augmentation. But what is nice with the augmentation case is that then humans are, are still involved. It's still a humanist process. You aren't replacing them as much. And that seems to be something that society would be more comfortable with. Um, I think in terms of management, uh, having faith in management, whether management works well, how the economy is doing, um, I liked how it was discussed. Maybe one thing that I would just uh, uh, point to as, as a very important distinction when you're talking about autonomous businesses as opposed to normal uh, businesses is the relationship between directors and especially executive directors and the shareholders of a company. Because uh, that changes massively when your directors are, are software, uh, when you're controlling them, when you're giving them the objectives. Uh, a lot of the problems that we have in company law is between trying to align what shareholders want and what directors want. And a lot of those problems change when the directors are essentially robots. Um, so I'm glad that was discussed as well. And I like the point about, uh, uh, you know, when robots become more human-like, they start incurring social obligations as well. I think the interesting converse question is, do they start up incurring social rights? Mm -hmm. um, and human so, rights? Yeah, and human <laughs> rights. Thanks for the debate. I thought it was great and sure. very interesting topic. Quick question to the, to the proposition though. Just a big fear of mine around this issue of um, you know, s systemic bias and that sort of thing. Could you rehash quickly before we open to the audience what you know, possible solutions to that problem could be? Uh, I can okay. answer part of that. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think there are two responses. The first is that we're talking about the problems of an infant industry, we're talking about, but we're talking about the fifth industrial revolution, which presumably is at least a decade into the future. So I think it's, there's a bit of disingenuity to assume that these problems will persist in a decade, considering how much of the progress we've made in the past decade. Yeah. Um, that's the first one. And then the second, I think the second one about, around social accountability. My question around that is, so what happened when that, I think it was a Tesla or a, or Gimo, the, um, when in one of the, in the U.S. that that self-driving car um, hit a woman and it killed a woman, right? Um, to my understanding, the social accountability there fell towards the company. And the key question I ask is that when the company, so in in this context, when a company says that they want to have this Android, we're saying they're saying that they trust this Android to the extent that they're willing to make they're willing for it to make its, its decisions for them. So then, in my mind, the social accountability automatically falls towards the people who instilled that trust within, within the Android in the same manner that any other form of technology, when it falls apart, it, it's blamed upon the people who said trust this technology. So, yeah, I, I, I don't, I fail to see why this is distinct from every other kind of failure of technology. Okay. Yeah. Anastal, do you want to add? Uh, yeah, so I'll just extend on his first point. I think he covered everything that I wanted to cover yeah. with regards to the second question. Um, wow. Epic blank. What was the first question? <laughs> it was around the issue of uh, how do oh, we make right, sure we're not baking systemic bias into into these bots? Um, so, yeah, I just want to rehash uh, and Seeker's argument, the fact that we, we're not necessarily sure that the same problems that exist today are going to persist in the future. But on top of that, um, I think there's fairly easy, like, systemic changes or pro programming changes that you can make to alleviate these things. For instance, if you create a bot, you can create it, like, with the inability to distinguish between, like, black and white. So then yeah. you completely remove the, the p potential of someone discriminating based on race. Yeah. I think there are, like, programming... Okay. Um, 
um, differences you can make to alleviate those kind of biases. Um, and then on top of that, I think it's an interesting point which Neil raised, yeah. um, which is basically just that the person who creates the Android then bears responsibility for whatever biases this thing may hold, um, which I think will once again disincentivize people, or incentivize people rather, to create systems which are going to um, mitigate these possible harms to the biggest possible degree. Mm. Um, so I think there are ways to work around it. It's not as big a problem as was perhaps made out. Is our audience convinced that systemic bias can be completely wiped out in the creation of Androids and we can make them to be you know, very much focused and primarily interested and mandated to help humans in, you know, and, and, and further human ambition. So if you remember the movie I, Robots, the big rule was don't harm humans, don't harm other robots, and don't harm yourself. But it didn't quite work out that way in the end. But before um, I get into some questions for, for, for Op, because I think there's also quite a few things that we have to think about there. Are there any questions from the audience around this issue of safety and controversial myths around the issue so there's a question at the end um well two questions here at the back um so my comment is just about how realistic it is to have to think that if we if we um sort of program these robots to not identify race that still employees are like human beings right I'm, I'm sort of that's what I'm assuming from from what everyone has been saying and that discrimination does not necessarily come from the the leaders in businesses but it also comes from customers who expect to see people of a certain color or yeah. gender or sexual identity etc yeah. so I don't necessarily see how that like how that necessarily like solves these harms that are like intrinsic in our society still. I hear you. We also had another point at the back. Okay. Um, so I think it's important in the debating to obviously allow concessions within the debate and weigh ups within that, right? So I think that even if on this question that we concede that AI won't be perfect in not distinguishing between race or any other factors that might necessarily cause a certain amount of bias, right? I think as a society, generally, we lean towards being afraid of new things and new changes, right? But what I'd like both sides to weigh up is, even if we concede to the fact that there is a certain amount of learning that is going to be taking place, and we concede that there's a short-term harm in instilling AI, right? If we accept the fact that we'll eventually get to a point where we can teach AI and we can have it learn from its mistakes and move towards an AI that can effectively run without these types of biases in it. Do we think that that is a short-term harm that we'd be willing to accept if we think that the long-term conclusion is one in which society then better thrives under these AI? Good point. And maybe to extend on it, Diavolt says that these harms could be short-term but worked through in the long-term. But also let's just assume a scenario where these harms don't exist. Don't we as human beings want uh, you know, our, our time to be freed up so that we can find humanness in the day-to-day activities that we get, uh, that you know we're involved in. If you think about what being a CEO involves, a lot of it involves being very, very busy, around the clock, flying, doing international trips and meetings and this and that, or at least trying to create an image that you're that busy. Either way, 
if you have a bot who doesn't have a diarization rhization issue that completely clears your schedule to be more creative to be more critical to come up with solutions that could change you know the face of of the world but also better responsible decision making sometimes you're having a really bad day and i'm sure some of the decision makers in this room can agree you're jet lagged or your kid you know fell at school or had you had a fallout with your partner in that case you know your decisions do suffer so taking to taking into account what has been said specifically by by Diavald and that issue of freeing up time you know what are some of your thoughts around how bots could genuinely help us self actualize as human beings opposition so first respond to the question that Diavald raises i think that the first thing that i'd like to say is that the idea that bots will eventually reach a stage where they don't have biases is extremely contentious and yeah. quite unlikely the reason that's true is that the nature of machine learning is somewhat analogous to the way that humans learn so what i mean by this is the fact that humans have been around for an extremely long time we've had issues of racism for an extremely long time basically like as long as humans have been around and humans have not been able to effectively learn how to eliminate these biases. Yeah. Like sure, problems of discrimination are probably not as bad now as they were like 100 years ago, but they're still really really bad. Yeah. So the fact that these things become entrenched in humans means that, you know, since bots learn in a similar way, the same is true there, but also that the way that bots are programmed and created mitigate bias. Mm. Yes, there'll be a point where bots reach a point of having no bias. Firstly, humans will still have biases. There'll still be biases in all of the other areas of the company, yeah. and they'll be utilized in the biased way anyway by the humans using them. But secondly, that the nature of racism and discrimination in general is that it's historic and systemic. So if you allow like further amounts of racism, it further entrenches the problems that we're already struggling to fix. So it makes the direct. uh the most pernicious part of racism it's historic nature it's entrenched nature it makes that a lot worse meaning that by the time we get to that stage it's far harder to counteract racism in general anyway and we need much stronger but measures. still Blake and still Neil I'm sure Tommy was the CEO of Tim Wong can agree he wants more free time on his hands <laughs> and how can we achieve that I think um I think to a degree every time I I I I visualize the ideal world with like robots in it it looks a little bit like wally but people aren't as unhealthy so so everyone has time we all go be actualized we live our best lives we flourish and if we ever need to we might just do some work but what robots can do they do do um i mean i have a, like i have a couple of like a bit like um dust capital views on like why that can't happen right now but i think we live in like a capitalist nightmare where you don't have the choice to yeah. go actualize so people either have to be kept within the existing system and i think that's why we're so desperately trying to hold on to jobs as opposed to just relentlessly moving forward with, with innovation because that comes at the cost of people's livelihood because there is no there is very little ability to live freely and actualize if the entirety of your access to that is predicated on money yeah. money that you can only get through work and i think that's really important by the way because we do need to take into account the fact that who creates the technology literally creates the kind of systemic biases that we go into into the future and maybe what we could think of as a potential solution is who builds technology any thoughts around that yes um i have one thought that links to that 
why can't we build a, um, an, and, an Android or an AI neural network whose training do- whose purpose is to specifically identify bias bias within other neural networks? And okay. the training <laughs> data is like uh, us, like pe- like. And I suppose that one would be built by. Like, Hello, this uh, thing's racist. Yeah. Uh, I suppose that could be best built by an intersectional, <laughs> you know, black feminist yeah, so I mean, who probably. If, if, is triply oppressed by the gender question, the inequality, the, uh, the the class question, um, maybe even the ethnic uh, question, the religious question. So, I mean, that could help if the lowest in society and the most vulnerable are empowered to create technology. What does that mean for what technology can and cannot do? But before we close this debate, I want to challenge us to think of a future where we coexist. So, what if you had a co-CEO? that could be efficient, that didn't have a diarization rhization problem, that could be fast, but that would only assist you in not only making your company decisions, but in freeing up your time so you could have more space to be human. I don't know. I think that could be an incredible solution. So think about this. If you could imagine a world where there was coexistence between androids and humans, what job would you think is the most ideal for these bots to do. Neo? I don't know about the most ideal, because I kind of thought of it like the other, I thought of the question the other way around as you were leading up to it, because I thought like in a world where they do everything, what 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 would I do? Okay. <laughs> you can also answer that. Yeah, because, um, I mean, I'd probably just like write. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe yeah. like paint really badly. Yeah. Um, do a bunch of really like yeah. fun. Do all of, I, I think... I do all of the things we reference when we talk about what makes us human. Yeah, and I think those are the, the, that's I think that's part of why there's such a big push towards automizing things. Or, yeah, I think that's the word. So who yeah. you humanness wouldn't be defined by how much work you do, yeah. how much work you're doing, and how much that work is creating value, but mm. all the other things that are essential to who you are and how you define yourself. Yeah. But back to the question: <laughs> What is the ideal job you think a bot could do in a world where we coexist? Um, I that that's a bit difficult, but I think, um, I think I'd probably just want bots to to do all the jobs we, like people don't want to do, like yeah, like a lot like like sewage, like, like yeah, <laughs> like 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 not fun things, yeah, like mining, yeah, yeah. this Blake, I think uh, yeah, def- definitely stuff <laughs> like like sewage and dangerous work, mm. but I think also really boring parts of other work so maybe yeah. the intensive administration parts of working in corporates yeah. I imagine it would be pretty, pretty <laughs> beneficial to people uh, yeah <laughs> Estelle um, yeah like maybe what could work is not to have a set vocation for bots or androids um, but to rather like kind of have them reflect whatever society looks like. So mm, if there's an mm. influx of people going to say graphic design and no engineers, then for the that for them decade, to fill the gaps. Um, the, yeah, just to fill the, the gaps where people don't want to go. So not because it's a bad job, just because like people don't have an interest for that decade or two decades. Awesome. And Siga? Um, all the jobs that people only do because capitalism is a thing. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Neil, any closing thoughts? Yeah, I think your your previous comment kind of nailed down what's really the takeaway that you should think about after this, which is what is the relationship that you want humans to have with machines? Uh, the one option is augmentation. There's machines, there's humans, they're separate and they work together. Uh, another option is the sort of strong augmentation that Elon Musk is working on where machines and humans merge into one through a neural link that you can instantly communicate with. Uh, then on the other extreme, there's robots taking over and humans just dying out. And on this extreme, there's just we we stop this whole AI thing now. 
Um, and those are the futures we're looking at, and it's going to challenge what it means to be human, and that's that's what you need to think about, I think. Mm. I'm going to take the far extreme view and say I would love to see androids being presidents of countries and literally being at the forefront of driving the future of economic progress. But that was the Interchange Episode 5, looking at uh, 5IR, which is a largely undefined territory. But we have zoomed in on uh, the capability of artificial intelligence in the future and what it could mean if AI is as intelligent as human beings, sometimes even more intelligent, if we could benefit from them being CEOs of large corporations. We'd love to hear your thoughts and your views, so do listen to the interchange, share with your friends, your community, your debating society, and leave any comments for us on all social media platforms. This was another thought-provoking debate made possible by APSA and Simon. Amplifying the voices of young people. The Interchange. Seeing Africa through a youthful lens.